Big John's Rods. Welcome to the Iceman, a podcast presented by Tuned Up Custom Rods. Welcome, everybody. John. Welcome, Dan. Tom. Tommy. And we have a hello, super, hello. super, super special guest. I know. You, I, I'm going to let you introduce because you're so excited today. So we're going to introduce uh, the one and only Mark Fisher. Uh, retired Rapala Jesus is what I'm going to nickname him. Um, and basically the inventor of my tackle box. Hall of, Hall of Fame Angler. Hall of Fame Angler. Part of, it, part of your tackle box or... It's it's a loaded with it. Uh, it's loaded. Isn't yeah. You're too kind. X he owns a lot of rapless stuff, and I own a lot of X wraps. It there you go. I would say X wraps is probably forty percent of all my stick baits. Maybe fifty. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great bait. Well, and I spike them, so I put glow paint on them, and I love them, and I tweak fish them, them, modify all the time. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's so, what you're supposed to do. Well, and that's what you have done throughout the years. Tweaking, modifying, and doodling. So you got. So for let, for people who don't fully understand, so your career, you were a lure designer for Rapala. Right. I I went in there. It was probably about twenty one years that I worked for Rapala, and I was on the pro staff, fishing a lot of local, regional uh, tournaments here in Minnesota and uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, go up to Canada. And do all that. And then finally, uh, I had sold a business that I had downtown Minneapolis, freed up more time, got into the fishing heavily. What, what did you have a business I did. In? I had a sign shop called Fish and LeBeau Signs. Okay. So North what did, Minneapolis deal. So what, like sign shop, are we talking like painted signs? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Do billboards, water towers, gold leaf lettering, so race this cars, was hot bef- rods. Before like the digital age. So you actually oh, yeah. had to. Everything was by hand. So this is where your creativity started. That's exactly right. And, and what spurned that was originally I was going to go into uh, art education when I graduated from high school. And uh, then, of course, the old Vietnam War was starting to rear its ugly head. It was in full play. I was graduating. I got, I'm thinking, oh, man, I got to do something to get ahead of this thing. I played drums, did the rock and roll scene for years. And I thought, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and get in like the Navy band or, or something. So I practiced real hard. Another buddy of mine I practiced real hard. And I got a high draft number. He didn't. So he went in, you know, and so the story goes. But instead of uh, going to college, I had everything all set to go. Uh, in lieu of that, I just, uh, just kind of stayed on the course of going to school but I, I'm, I'm just getting involved with all these different things. And the music thing took me down the road for probably about four or five years as uh, my full-time work. And then I was like, well, I got to get on the straight and narrow, quit traveling around, and, and uh, um, went to work for an old art teacher's brother who had a sign shop. And so the sign shop deal started, and I learned from his father, who was a great artist. It was a Craig family. And... Uh, 
just good people and learned a lot about painting billboards and lettering trucks and all that stuff, the old school deal. So I, I mean, and, that, and that's coming back. I know. Like, it is. I mean, because you can't replicate that in real life. Like, you can't digitize True. it. It just doesn't look... It doesn't. It doesn't look the same. And I, and people, I, I'm big into cars, and you, you see it's like people put vinyl graphics. It's like, that's cool. Mm -hmm. But to have someone paint, you know, a 30 on your car and do the old suit exactly. lettering and pinstriping, people are like, that looks, yeah. it's a whole different level of cool. True. And there is a, a load of great talented people that were in Minneapolis at that time. You know, a lot of good sign painters that did a lot of custom striping and, and, uh, uh, Echo, Dave Echo was one of the guys who started uh, shaving doors. Okay. For the shaved handles. Yeah. That, that real, like, how do you get into this thing? You know, you mm -hmm. go to a car show and what are you doing? You know, and, and then there was another guy over in Brooklyn Park, Minnick, who was another pinstriper and just class guys. There were, I mean, there were just a lot of them, you yeah. know. Well, nope. and that used to be a big thing, pinstriping all this kind oh, of yeah. retro stuff. Yeah, you let her semi trailer, then you do the cab. And then, of course, the truck driver come to pick it up, and he goes, oh, can't you lay a couple pins on here? Just, <laughs> just put a couple hoop de doos in here. You know, you yeah. just go and, and you guys do it all free. Meanwhile, freehand. I'm it's just like... trying to get home. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. But you can't say no, you know, because then it's, it's, it's a negative. Yeah. And we need more business. You know, we're just 23 and 24. And so you, you left the that. sign shop. Yeah. And then you go, you just wake up one day and say, I'm going to start building X wraps. How, how, how does that? <laughs> I know, it's, it's a disconnect. You know, the one thing that I've always lived by is prepare yourself for the next opportunity. But nobody knows what the next opportunity is. And, I, and I've done this talk a lot with college kids and high school kids and whatever. And, and, and it's like, every time I've seen something that it's like, God, I think I'd like to try that. I study it, I putz with it, I do it for a little bit. And then I really gravitate to it where I walk on and figure out something else to do. You know, another bright, shiny object over here. Yeah. So I got to learn this one, you know. It's so that's what my life's always been around, just kind of bouncing around. And, uh, and like I say, I was one of the greatest doodlers in social science and math classes, you know, because that's what I like to do more. My attention span, I suppose I was probably a little ADD or whatever, <laughs> but who gives a rats, you know. My whole deal was it was to have fun. If I'm going to do work for the rest of my life doing something, I got to find something good to do. Yeah, that's, you a, know? that's a good motto because you can be miserable doing your Oh, yeah, you can get work. a paycheck any way you want, especially today. But to, to really go in there and duke it out with a bunch of other people that want that one same gig, it's pretty tough, no matter yeah. what it is. And so, so to get back in line, um, what I ended up doing is I had a friend of mine, Tom Mackin, who worked as a, uh, he was in media, he was a, oh, sure, no, I can't, uh, I can't get it correctly, but he worked for a group called Carmichael Lynch. Okay. Ad agency. Yep. That's, the, that was a phrase I was looking for. Yeah. So anyways, and I was connected because I was fishing and uh, with the sign shop and um, came up that I was, I was working with Minn Kota. I was working with Fenwick. I was working with a lot of different... JWA was one of the other companies. And and uh, and so I would do all these promotional things. Go to the sports shows, stand in there and, you know, get people excited about products, answer questions, whatever. And uh, then it kept growing and kept growing. And uh, 
So Mac had asked me one day, he goes, you know, hey, I got this, we've got some guys coming in, let's go fish, you know, on Antonka and a guide trip. It was like Larry Hansen does, you know, all the time. And yeah. uh, so it was like we went out there and I was fishing Tonka hard at the time because if you were going to make a name for yourself or do well competitively regionally, you had to learn Tonka. Well, Tonka was a big Big that, bass circuit. That was like, a it huge was kind of like the, I always called it the stepping zone. It is. Like people that win a couple tournaments on Tonka, yeah. they get to go to the big leagues. Oh, yeah. Look at Seth Fighter. <clears throat> you know, classic example of a kid that I think I can do this. I think I want to do that. I can do that. And look at he's doing it. Yeah. And and he spent a lot of time on Tonka. We actually know. just referenced Tonka on Bassmaster Live today. Yeah. And, well, the, and the conversation with Davey Height was about Teddy Capra. Oh, you heard it. Oh, yeah. Yes. I, was, I was watching it. No, I was doodling, you know. <laughs> I was um, on my lunch break at school. Were well, you? Yeah. Listening to it, yeah. Good good catch there, Dan. You, just, you didn't want to say you were actually at school. Well, I couldn't have the volume on for that part. But yeah, that's awesome that you were listening to the exact same thing. That was his duty-free lunch. Yeah. Yeah. So, Kid, kids, wait. Here, listen to this. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, but that's, that's how that connection was made. And then... Um, um, so spending the time on Tonka and, and went, went over and did this guide trip deal and we, we just had a blast. It was, it was just a really a good time. And, well, uh, and guide, guide trips, I know I've, guiding people is an amazing thing when you can get them on fish. Right. It's like one of the most rewarding things ever. Exactly. I, I did a, a trip with a friend and he wanted his daughter to catch a, a big crappie in the worst way last year. Yep. We went out and she caught a 14 and a bunch of 12s and a couple of 13s. And she was just ecstatic because he thought a big crappie was like eight, nine inches. Right. Oh, yeah. And you catch a 14 and he's like, what is this? And I'm like, you told me you want to come up for big crappies. I said, you know, it's nine o'clock at night. Your daughter's up late. But mm -hmm. I mean, she still talks about it. Yeah. One, one night of fishing, three hours, and she's got a lifetime of memories. And that's it. That's how it goes. And um, yeah, so stay the course. I, Took off and I, uh, I happened to guide a guy named Sam Heaton, who was a, a, the promo guy for Hummingbird, or no, just Minkota at the time, and uh, just a great guy from Alabama. And then the other guy was some local guy, Ron Shera, mm. right? Yeah, I've heard of him. So I, I knew Ron a little bit from going to the shows and whatever. We went out this day and I said, Guys, we're going to catch some big largemouth. I've got some stuff and flipping in the milfoil. We'll be over by such and such island. We show up there. There are no largemouth in there at all. So I'm going, this is bad. But there's a spine that goes off this weed bed, and it kind of heads off in this direction, and then it kind of hooks back. And I said, so we can fire here and fire here and fire here. So I dug out some Carolina rigs, threw them in the hands of a couple of guys, and we threw out there and we got three at the same time, big smallies. <laughs> and Franz Lake, this size lives in this lake. And I'm going, yeah. And I think we can catch some more because if they're here, they're, when, they're not always here. Yeah. But when they're here, they're here. Yeah, there's a massive, One of those massive deals, schools. Right? Yeah. Exactly. So all of a sudden, Sammy, he just goes to work. He's, don't hold him back, you know. So he's firing away and he's just whacking them. Anyways, we brought back. You had to bring back your best five, and I think we had 25, 26 pounds for five. Oh. They were all... <laughs> Those are giants. Giants, right? <laughs> so that little guide trip and that little exposure and that little saying yes pretty much catapults 
what I did for the rest of my life in the fishing industry. Really? Because oh, that's such a hard connection between those guys. Yeah. So it, it made the connection. Carmichael Lynch, through Mac, was connected. They were doing all the advertising for Rappel in those days, back in the 80s. And, uh, and then Sam Heaton. I knew Sammy from Minn Kota. And, uh, but then certainly Ron Shera you know, was, was the other part of it in, of the equation. And, and uh, so we became really good friends, you know, and everybody just kept wheeling. Then Mackin calls me up after I did a stent working with a company, after I sold the sign shop to my partner, I went to work and did silicone rubber skirts for a company called Skirts Plus. Okay. And like we're talking bass skirts and mm -hmm. stuff. Okay. Yes. Big spinnerbait stuff, you know, musky skirts, but it was all silicone rubber. And uh, so he called me up one day and, and, and uh, you ever think about coming to work for Rappel? And I said, what time tomorrow? You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, that's like, a, I, I didn't even know what I would said yes to. But it was, yeah, I, yeah, I'm ready. But you almost have to take that opportunity. Even if they said, hey, we're going to throw in the marketing department for a little while. I mean, that was a, it. That's a big opportunity, especially because they were growing so fast at that point. Absolutely. And and that was the time. That's what I did. I basically worked with all the promotional guys and all the TV personalities and, and whomever. We, we worked on the promotional side of things. And it was really good. But I also was doing product development right away. And... Uh, not to a heavy level, but working with everybody you had to. And that's when I met Yarmo Rapala. And Yarmo is, uh, he's a grandson of Lori Rapala, who started the whole thing. And, and through that, I mean, how much time have we? Because as long as you want. I mean, it's just wild. I mean, all the, all so, the different so things what, that happen. What lure did you kind of influence first? Uh, the first one, the, f the first one was the X-Rap. Was it? Okay. That when, was the I very remember first. when the X-Rap came out. And I, it's, what, that's 15 years ago? Oh. Or is it longer than that? Yeah. It was like 20. Because I remember buying a black. Close to 20. Black with the silver bottom one. Yep. Yep. And I remember just demolishing walleyes on it early yep. spring and thinking, okay, I got to go buy a hundred more of these because I, mm -hmm. I need them. I mean, they were just unbelievable. Oh, yeah. That's that's a deal, and 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 uh, Yarmo is a great great angler, and uh, you know, like right now, Yarmo's probably in his late fifties, early sixties, I would say. But for whatever reason, you know, he's he spoke fluent English as well as his uh, Finnish, yeah, and uh, but through hand signals and gestures and eye contact and and doodling and sketching out some things and you can you can feel that the ball was going to roll and so the first project was going to be a jerk bait because a husky jerk was such a great bait but the bass anglers needed to cast it further husky jerks are probably the worst lure to cast in wind they're tough to cast yeah they, but they you just, get them in the water and they are just it's a different animal yeah it really is so i trolled with husky jerks a lot yep. just because it was it's hard to throw them i mean yep. it was just it was an awful lure to throw but x-raps are they cast real far. Yeah, they do. They do. And that was that was the first uh, weight transfer system that was designed to go in there. And I'll start at the beginning that, that you know, Yarmo is just unbelievable as far as understanding different substrates to use to achieve different things in building a bait. Because you start with the capsule. Yep. You know, shape it however you want it. But it's still going to be a tube. Tapered at one end bigger at the other or 
short, squatty, extended. There's only really two shapes, you know, to lures. You know, one is following a minnow. The other one is pretty much a shad. And then from there, you just do with it. And when the X-Rap started, he had the project going. And uh, um, so we worked on it together collectively. And it got right down to the end. And I, I remember the day he walked into my office because he was hanging in the United States for a year and uh, um, to understand what's all going on in our business world, our culture, how important certain baits are to walleye anglers as well as musky fishermen, as well as bass guys, pan fish, you know, the whole, the whole gamut. And uh, so he goes, what do you think we need more? Or what do you think we need to this bait before we pull the trigger on it? Because Finland wants to know. And it's like, how about a red tail? I was just going to say. Because I was Let's wondering. put I, a feathered tail I want to know if it, there was, the first prototypes didn't have feathers because. I was going to ask the exact same question. Yeah. But yeah. That's, that, that's a true story. I mean, you're hearing it. Oh, dude, and that, that red tail is so influential that I, once the, you know, the feathers fall off after a hundred fish, I retie all my. Well, yeah. Because right. it's so important. I feel like it's almost, I don't you're know. You're a doodler I am a, without saying it, right? Tinkering. He ties the feathers back on, but he's got 900 of the exact same color right next to him. Yeah, because like that's it. But sometimes you you have probably a lure that like you feel like it's just got magic. Yeah, yeah. that happens. And along with feathers, I'm all, I was always changing colors. But for whatever reason, there are times white works, and but red red is an angler tractor. Yeah, an angler looks at that and goes, "Oh man, that's that's the mag wheels on the car." It's, you know, it's, the, it's, it's the chrome this bumpers. It. It's, it's yep. like, oh, this is, looks cool. I got to have, let's fill up the tank, you know? So once we got that going, it was like, okay, now we've really gotten something because here's the allure. The bait suspension got slowed down when you added the tail. You know, people, yeah, the feather's in water and it, it, it doesn't absorb, the tail doesn't absorb water, but the feathers do after a period of time. Yeah, that's why you, you tie flash boo on there. Yep. <laughs> then they're even better, but I shouldn't yep. tell my secrets. No, but, but that's a deal. Yeah. Air bubbles get trapped on that. And mm-hmm. you can't see it, but when you're working it, it's like, God, what is it about this thing? And then you got to be analytical and you got to go through and reverse engineer, just like you say. Yeah, I mean, you really certain, do. and certain situations yeah. require different stuff. So that was it. And so then he came down and he goes, okay, he got a tail and whipped up a tail and put it on there and, you know, made one longer and two shorter. And, and, uh, and then it was the fins that had the flashaboo on it. And um, so it came back and, and he comes in my office and he goes, okay. And I've got goosebumps right now thinking about this because he comes in and he goes, here it is. I just got it back from Finland. They're ready to run them, but they need an Okay are we going to do this? I said, what are you asking me for? I <laughs> yeah, said, I mean, you're that's a, a Yarmo Rappler. Yeah, that's a he big goes, responsibility. I know. And I'm sitting there going, this, this can't be. And, he, and I go, love you, buddy. Yeah, we're doing it. I can't think of anything else this bait needs to do. I mean, it was, it was, it was a time. And at that point, we were lucky enough to again put a plastic lure into play in a company that's backbone was built on balsa yeah, and, and was there, were, there was there any lures before that before with, with plastic or you didn't the r&r the risto wrap rattling rapala oh the, oh yep sorry i was saying risto wrap yeah <laughs> exactly 
but the rattling Rapala and then the Husky jerk, or no, yeah, the Husky jerk. And uh, so, and there were a lot of traditionalists back across the sea in, in Finland, like, oh, we don't want to start building plastic baits because then we'll be like everybody else. But it was like, you know, you had to convince the folks over there that, no, we need specific lures for specific needs. And sometimes it's going to require the buoyancy of balsa. And then there are times that we've got to be able to build things up so that we can do what we need to do using plastic for the capsule. Can you explain the weight transfer thing you mentioned? Yeah, there was, it's, it's a pr- pretty sophisticated chamber that if, if you take the bait apart, it's uh, the parting line goes back, tail, belly to head. Mm-hmm. And then with, uh, with the X-wrap, well, you're making me think now. <laughs> X-wrap has an Just, inserted lip. Okay, I was gonna, don't give away any secrets. But. No, 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 no. <laughs> Um, it has an inserted lip, but, but on the inside, there was a chamber that had a small steel ball that, you know, it's the old classic inertia. You go back, backhand cast, and you needed the ball to go to the tail. Sure. And then on the forward motion, you need the ball to slide forward, but it's got to stay forward. Otherwise, it loses that inertia in air, in flight. So it stay, it, it goes lip forward? Yep. It goes from the tail section, not all the way from the far end of the body to the far opposite end of the body, but within a constrained uh, area in that body is basically another little bait is what it looks like. It's another little body shape that fits in there. And there's a bridge, which is just nothing more than a, uh, if you have a rail system that contains the ball that rolls through, there's a bridge here that the ball will stop. Okay. So once you kick it forward, it gets so far, you snap to start imparting the action, and it locks up in the nose by, because the ball crosses that bridge, and it gets over it and it can't come back. Is it not a rattling bait then? Well, it'll rattle. Yeah, because of the ball. The ball, say, the ball should rattle. The plastic yeah. sides. Yeah. I, I never really looked at one. Yeah. I, it was just, to me, it was just a bait that was, well, just, it just rattled. What I, I it just what, had BBs in it. Hearing that description, though, Mark, is really useful for understanding, like, the price of these things. Well, exactly. You know, and, and that's, that's really a cool point. Because back in those days, I think they rolled off to market at about seven ninety nine. And that was pretty expensive because that, that was, was a spendy bait. So I worked at Fleet Farm in Oakdale at that time. And oh, I remember getting sure, them in sure. and we're like, look at these. And I was yeah. the, I was probably the employee that never made money. I'd be like, oh. sweet. And I'd buy them all. Oh, I'd, be yeah. like, I'd buy all the black and silver, all the blue ones, or yeah. I'd buy the whole carton. I remember buying um, rattle and wraps in the whole yellow six box. Pack. Six pack. Yeah. And, and I remember my parents saying, what, why are you buying so many lures? You know, you this is crazy. And I'm like, I'm going to be somebody in this industry. I'm going to build yeah. rods. I'm going yeah. to, and I think I'm still, and I still have a lot of those in boxes up in my rafters. Cause I thought they were so cool. Yeah. That's what you got to do. You got to, <laughs> you got to, it's, it's like a buddy of mine that used to have a liquor store down on Washington Avenue. When he'd come, when guys would come in and rob him, he'd go, you're not going to take all the money out of the till. 
take some and leave some. What am I supposed to do if I need to break change for somebody that comes in after you're done robbing me? <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> that's awesome. No way. But I think I've been to that liquor store. What was oh, that place yeah. called? It was Cooper's Liquor on yeah. 14th and Washington. Oh, yeah. But, and I mean, and that, Abe would stand right in there and go toe-to-toe with those guys. It was hilarious. But that's kind of a respect thing, right? It as is, as it a is. criminal, I'd be like, well, this guy's got some yeah. pretty, pretty big <laughs> Yeah, and the criminals would all just lay five bucks back, you know, out of the 20s. That's but awesome. no, it's, it's uh, but the lure side of thing, it, it really was a cool deal. And it all depends on who you're working with. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm you sure. You know, the creativity, you pick up things from somebody sparks something and somebody else gets excited. And the next thing you know, collectively, you're working on a project. And then somebody else comes up with an idea not one person carries the ball you can't you can't have an effective business that way it's kind of like a, i always think of it as like a rugby game right yeah you have a ball carrier yeah. but they got to pass it all the time yeah and you got to play offense and defense and it's it's not even like football because it never stops no that's really true you know and the, and, the, and the part about it that was so fun to me was that if you're genuine i think you know just life in general if you're genuine it's easy to pick up and, and move along and, and gain respect from people or work together with people easier. And, and the thing that was always kind of fun is the guys in Finland spoke no English, the guys that I worked with, and I certainly don't speak any Finnish. Yeah. You know, so it's like, wow. So we're back to hand gestures, you know. Okay, we want, we want tighter action. Oh, so you mean it? you want it to go like this instead of like this? Yeah, that's it. Well, but the, if you look at and how you, I describe a lure, I, you know, I'd be like, oh, a DT, it swims like this. And but that's what you do. Yeah. I don't need words. I, exactly. And so all those things over the, t- over the period of time, you'd say, well, let's tweak this. The, the first, <laughs> I'm all over the place now. Uh, don't worry. We, we have, <laughs> I, love where, I love where it's going. Yeah. This is how my brain works. So, this but is. that, that's, that's how a lot of the projects worked. You know, you'd start out with something and all of a sudden, uh, yeah, we need it to kick out. What? What kick out? Well, you know, where it, it just, it tracks and then it just kind of loses itself. And the fins are going, well, why would you ever want to build something like that? Oh. No, we're perfection. Every one of our bo- our lures right out of the box runs straight and true. Mm-hmm. That's how their business was predicated in the beginning to the time. Well, you're talking about like the scatter wrap series, which was well, that one was over the smoke. top. Yeah, the min- the minnow wraps the first time I trolled yeah. those with lead core, I was like I I don't know, I'll never put another lead core lure on. I don't think I have. Yeah. Yeah. So going There's, from, oh, I'm sorry. No, yeah. no, that's, but that's just it. There were a lot of words. It's like, I slang talk all the time, always have. And it's, oh man, I got to get the Webster out. And you know, what so is the real it, word for this description? Did that take a lot of convincing on your part for them to go along with that idea since that wasn't what they had been doing in the past? Well, you know, it, it came down to the specific baits, you know, because crankbait, certainly you don't. You know, like you, you take DTs and they all run straight and true. You, and the first ones were Ristos that ran straight and true, preceded by shad wraps. Shad wraps don't hunt. They don't kick out. They don't do anything. Yeah. You know, they just track through. True, I should say. So Wiggle Warts, when we bought Storm, it was like, oh, these, these lures, they're all 
They go everywhere. You know, they couldn't comprehend it's a knuckleball. it. We got to fix these. W- wiggle, the, like, the original wiggle warts did not track at all, but they worked amazing because yeah. it looked like a real fish. Yeah, because they glued them together by hand. And then they put them together, wrapped a rubber band around the body, so and nice. set them on straight up and down. Well, they became like a science project. Everyone was different because they would fall over on the port side or fall over on the starboard side in the gluing process, and it would be stalactites and stalagmites inside of the bodies. <laughs> so I, I never, never thought about that. because why they, they track so lot. Yeah. So going from this, this husky jerk doesn't... Yeah cast far enough right to he's handing you a ready to go sell it right now x wrap how long is that process to to take off and do a complete a complete new family starter as we used to say it the hero lure to initiate a family it would take probably about a year and a half two years but we got to the point where if you're doing an extension in the, you know, with a hard bait like a DT, you knew what the dynamics of the baits were. And it got down to just a simple email. Mm. Because you're working with the same guys that you've worked with for so many years that it, it made it really simple. You know, where you could, you could nip the bud on a lot of projects where you're trying to find a starting point. And if you had an existing DT6, it's easy to build a 10 or a 16, you know, from there. Certainly the 14 was easier in the 20s because you initiated that, those first, first bodies. And, uh, yeah, not that it was simple, but it got the start. It got us to the starting lane a lot faster. Have you seen any... Did you ever have to wait for the technology and the rods or the reels to catch up with the ideas you had? No, no. Because when the DTs came out, high-speed reels were yeah. pretty, pretty much the norm. And the, and the DTs, I got in probably about midway on the DT projects. Okay. David Fritz initiated it yep. all. And he worked directly with Yarmo, Rapala, and Craig Weber. Craig Weber preceded me in product development over there working on, on Rapala projects. And uh, so those were the guys that started, and Fritz was, Fritz was an absolute wizard when it came to crankbaits. You know, everybody knows that that, that can, goes back to those, those, those days of the late 80s, 90s. And, but he threw a, a BB1N, lose BB1N, you know, 5.3 to 1 or 5.1 to 1, and he was throwing old heavy glass rods. You know, he just didn't deviate from that. Well, and there's something to be said for a glass rod. Oh. Like a real glass rod Absolutely. On, on a crankbait. I mean, and now we're into the evolution where they have carbon fiber in the back end, glass in the tip. That's probably the best. But yeah. old school glass rods, there's still a spot for them because they can throw some of that light stuff better and than that's, And that's it. And and I think I think along with it, I, I Dave... Dave's a great angler in so many ways, but he understands crankbaits and he understands his system. He knows that this reel functions, you know, the way it does. And I'm going to use the same reel on these other six rods. And you go through it and you pick it up and you're not, you're not changing anything. You make that cast, you know you got a longer rod or a shorter rod. But that, that flat-sided palming, you know, which is so important because so much slop is in the old loose reels. 
And they've taken all of that out due to technology, right? Yeah, it used to be. I mean, everybody remembers the Abu Garcia days where it'd hook up four times in one revolution. Exactly. It's like, oh, I can't. Yep. I couldn't imagine fishing with that today. But I still go back. I probably have a dozen one ends that I still periodically get the urge to go and fish because there is nothing else that has a feel like that. And you can, you can feel when a, when a fish through the rod, through the system, you can, you can feel if you do it a lot. And I mean a lot, you can feel the, the suck before the push where he's got it Mm -hmm. because it skips, you know, that, that hydrodynamics that's occurring when a fish comes up behind something mouths it and then all of a sudden he eats it there's yeah. that fine line in there I, I, really could, I, I could totally see that with those those reels yeah when and you're if, testing the lures do you use different line diameters different different do you yeah do you use different uh factors setups Fa- well, i can't remember the scientific word right well, now factor or whatever it is but do no no that's a great right? question because Theoretically, Vari- variables. That's what it variables, was. Variables, right? I got it. <laughs> but but theoretically, we've always back in the days with Rapala, we always used fourteen pound test for whatever reason, and ten pound. Fourteen and ten were the were the norms. Well, today, if you take fourteen and ten pound monofilament, you're looking at eleven thousandths on on diameter on on the monofilament line, and staying true to that, um, there's a lot of variations on because of technology on monofilament today. And then certainly you go with fluorocarbon, it changes things up because now that wants to sink the bait, you know. And it, and it casts very different. It's people, different. People don't realize like right. all, every, I'm sure everything casts different, feels different on a spool. And, Correct. Yeah. Correct. And then, and then with braided line, braided line's a, a whole different animal. So, so, so basically in a roundabout way, getting back to your 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 question, yeah, 10-pound test and 14. If it's going to be a bait that you're going to work around shallow water, you know, like a DT4, DT6, you better be throwing it on 14 because a lot of guys are going to use it as an industrial strength crankbait application yeah. where you're, you're going to be banging rocks, wood, whatever. But out and away, away from the weeds and a little bit of weeds, 10-pound test, the bait gets down so much deeper. You know, based on the cast again. You know, because well, you don't have such a big that, loop in the, your line too. Pendulum, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot. There's a lot of cool things to talk about when you when you think about how do you make something that's good better. You know, that's and how do you how do you make? I think the toughest thing, and certainly in the rod business too, it's when you excuse me. The seltzer water is getting me. <laughs> I was like, that, that, I, I love that I stuff. I love it. I do. But, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's got sh- some. I should have been thinking before. It's talking back a little bit. Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, we got beer. I mean, we can we <laughs> change to that. It's a lot easier. All right. It's snowing outside, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but no, when you start thinking about, um, as you go down the line further, you know, with a company, whatever, if you're selling auto parts or building rods or crankbaits, you know, it, there, there's a time where, you want to do something creative a little bit. You want to push the envelope. You have to. You want to. But then you don't want to lose the people that got you to the dance. That is a very fine line to dance, too. It is. It really, really is. And, and you know, if, if a person comes up to you and say, um, you know, instead of the blue rods, if you can make a few red ones and a couple green ones, I'd really like that, you know. 
and you, you go, get that email twice a week. Oh, you, you got to twice a week. You know, right, we'd like get the three times a day right now. We get the same thing on. Well, can't you do some other variations of shad? Can't you do a different fire tiger? And it's like, how many fire tigers do you need? I got six minute, of them on the website. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the minute you do, all of a sudden here comes the phone calls that used to be there. And the air mail mail that would go to Finland saying, why did you do this? You know, it's like you snatched your firstborn. I can tell you, you know? that I did write Serapola when I was younger. The number eight <laughs> rattle and wrap that was brown top and or like an bright fire orange, like an orange crawdad. Mm-hmm. You guys discontinued that color, and I think I almost died. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of hate mail. Yeah, and then the <laughs> probably half of them from me as a kid. Why did you discontinue this? I remember standing at the Northwest Sports Show in the Rapala booth one year, and everybody gets down there early. You know how that is. And so I'm down there yakking with the guys, catching up and BSing and. All of a sudden, we're waiting for the doors to open. You know, it was it during the week? And this guy, the doors open. And we're way on the far south end of the convention center. Doors open on the north end. Just happened to look up. Everybody goes, ah, yeah, they, here they come. And looked up, and this one guy was just beating cheeks, hoofing it, huffing it. And he's heading in our direction. I'm going, uh-oh, <laughs> this camper is... He's hotter than a $3 pistol right now. And you know what's coming. I, yeah, it's he's like, coming our way, boys. And all of a sudden, guys started to disperse, you know. Just <laughs> go guy. back to their booths. And, <laughs> you've never seen people. Yeah, it's, it's like ants I'm in the I'm standing there, and I've got Rapala across the front of my shirt. And he goes, I've been waiting to talk to you. And I'm thinking, oh, this will be good. You guys discontinued this and this. Did, did he have a list? Because some people bring he, a list. He <laughs> had, he wrote down the model numbers, the sizes, the whole deal, and they were made in Ireland. And you guys discontinued them. And I looked at the list and I said, you're the guy. He goes, what? I said, yeah, you're the guy. If we would have bought two more baits last year, we would not have discontinued the product. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we've all been there. I've been yeah. where they're, I know they're discontinuing a bait. So I, the older fire tiger that the rattle and wraps used to be a very old school. Fire yeah. tiger. It's yeah. not as now it's all done up with different mark. But I remember we, at that time it was just transitioning and fleet farm got a bunch of cases of the old ones. Mm-hmm. So I went and bought every single one. I mean, I remember I spent like $290 on one size of one bait in yeah. one color. Yeah. And I still have a couple to this day, but I no longer even fish with them because I was so attached to that color. Yeah. It goes that way, you know, and tweaking and formulations. And I will say this about the factory. They are, they're, they're unbelievable how anal they are. And they keep samples and they date when they shot them and they date where the paint came from. And I mean, there is, there is no question yeah. where these things, are, you know, were originally done and, do they, do they ever bring a model back, like like super popular one that they discontinued and bring it back? Like this is like the McRib, where like you know, <laughs> you know it's like they you know, dis, they discontinue it to, t- get the, the t- to, to get the fervor going, and then they bring it back a couple years later. You know, I don't recall. I don't really recall any big quantities, but I know that there were some baits that were brought back because they worked great in Finland, or they worked great in Japan. And then they would modify and tweak a couple colors, get enough so they can make a run, 
and put them out there. So that's why you'll see some special edition stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So well, I think it's, I'm sorry, John. I said, I got a bunch of questions, but we probably should Go take ahead. a bathroom break. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I was just going to say, I, I, it's a, for a company like Rapala to maintain the level of relevance that they've had for as long as they have. Yeah. There's not a lot of Fords and Fenders and Rapalas, you know, it, you're, there's always someone chasing at their heels, trying to make the next hot lure or the next thing that's going to catapult them to that spot. And, a company's really got to be willing to innovate and change and, yeah. you know, anger some people maybe if they're going to discontinue things that aren't working. Yeah, like a stay number, number eight. Number rattle eight. and rap in orange crawdad. I don't <laughs> know. I mean, or, just, or a quick tip. <laughs> yeah, or a quick tip. We discontinued rod, and I think there's a lot of people that want to castrate me. And people are happy about that. On a table and tar and feather me. There you go. Well, let's go ahead and take a quick break, and then when we come back, I want to hear about getting into the Fishing Hall of Fame. Because that's the only one that I might have a shot at. There you go. Trust me, I'm like, it's like, okay, now we got X wraps, so I got my 200 lures, and then we got the DT series, and I'm like, well, and then if you did scatter wraps, the rest of my life is now mineral wraps and scatter scatter wraps. There's a great story behind scatter wraps. I I got to hear this. Let's let's tease it. We'll, We'll come back and hit that after the break. All right, we'll be right back. Hey everyone, this is Dan from the Iceman coming to talk about our sponsor, Tuned Up Custom Rods. Right now we are in the middle of Fish February. Check out our spots on Facebook and Instagram to enter into the contest to win yourself a rod. And make sure that you use the promo Iceman to save 10% at checkout on any rods purchased online. And while you're browsing the web, check out Freedom Baits with a Z. They are hand-poured, high-quality plastics. Use the code ICEMEN for 10% off on your order. And also, if you want to buy the best cooler made in Minnesota, check out Maluna. Use the code ICEMEN for 15% off on your order. I mean, I think Maluna is the best cooler made anywhere. I do, too. Not just the best one made in Minnesota. But it's the best one made in Minnesota. It's the best cooler, comma, made made in Minnesota. Minnesota. Oh, it's just the best cooler. That happens to be made in Minnesota as well. Yeah. We're saying the same thing. I have my seafoam green one in, in in the truck. No, it's uh, I thought it was Tiffany blue. It, well, my wife says it's seafoam green. It's Tiffany blue. Trust me. I've ever asked everyone. <laughs> so I have one question because you talk about the Japanese market. Did you JDM. guys? Yeah. Have you ever tried to compete with JDM like Rapala baits? Because that's, I, I'm not trying to knock Rapala. This is, but yeah. you go to a mega bass lure, like they're some of their walk the dog lures. You're paying $35 for a lure. Yeah. Granted, it, it is absolutely perfect, but it's $35. <laughs> yeah. Like, if I lose it, I will probably cry. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, and, and countries that the brands will go to, you know, whether it's Rappel or Storm or whoever, yeah, you've got to compete in that marketplace. You know, and that's another hard one to do, to you know, to hold the line that you're, again... Don't don't uh, tick off your existing customers that got you somewhere just to gain some market share in another area that you have to fight for. But you got to fight for yeah. it. And sometimes you cross the line a little bit, and and some products will some products will will show just a hint of you know you're trying to get the Japanese market. Well, yeah, there's a look. You know, if you look at Rapala lures, they never changed the eye until we went to a 3D eye. No, they were always the yellow with the yellow black with circle. the black dot. So you could do whatever you wanted to do. I never thought about that until just now. But don't monkey with the eye. You know, and it was like, 
Okay, that's kind of an earned respect deal. That's cool. So when DTs came out and, and uh, X-Raps, they came to this 3D holographic stick on it. Yeah, because even I think Husky Jerk still had the That's where it yellow, started. Right? And then the last one was pushing the envelope on the blade bait. The, the last one. Uh, what's that? Just bought uh, a bunch rap of them. Yeah. 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 Just bought a bunch of those. The rap fee. And then that's where you went to a, uh, I change up the design on the eye just to get it a more of an irritated look, more of an aggressive look. So I, I, I got to, because scatter wraps, did you have something to do with those too? Yeah. yeah. Scatter wrap. You, I'll you give basically you the- designed my whole tackle box. And I said that before, but. Like I should have you sign them all. No, no, no. Yeah, you should sign all my lures. <laughs> but here again, there's a lot of guys that work on the project. But I, somebody's got to in, initiate it. You yeah. Know. Well, and that sometimes it's the yeah. And then we've had rod designs from that too, where mm-hmm. people are like, "You got to do something different." Like a noodle rod. Yeah. Great rod, but people are like, "I need a little bit more backbone. I need a little bit more of this." Okay. Mm-hmm. And you tweak it, and then all of a sudden it's like, "Yeah, I think I got something." And you, you hand it to five people, and they're like. Best rod I've ever used. Yeah, for that application. And they're like, this is going to whip bull-sized gills. And I'm like, how about a bull whip? Everybody's like, sold. Dang. Yeah. Now just make as many as you possibly can every year. Fast. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But that's how it works. Yeah. But the scatter scatter wrap was a trip to Finland. Would go over there once or twice a year and work with the the guys in the the factory, the R&D PD team. And uh, work and tweaking, modifying colors and changing patterns and whatever. But how'd you, cool how'd you, how'd you, okay, convince the fins? Because every, when I bought a Rapala, mm-hmm. you take it out of the box, it runs 100% perfect. Correct. Scatter apps, it does not run 100% perfect. It exactly. Dry, if, if you, people I've had, when I first bought my first set of mineral wraps, it's like, what is wrong with these? Like, not one runs out of the box good. But then I was like, you know what, I'll just try it. Yep. And it was like, well, this thing, I don't know what it does, but behind the boat, it's, oh, it's top-notch, yeah. best thing I ever had. Absolutely. Well, the story, the true story, and, and, I'm, and I'm being 100% honest, on, on one of the trips over to Finland, we, had, we would always go and visit some of the best big stores in Finland. And they're not like we have stores here, like Shields and you know, all the big box stores, they're small, they're pretty small, but there are some that are, that, that are, you know, of size and went in and there was this one wall as we're walking down, looking at all the different things and they're apprising us of what's hot and what isn't and what looks old. And this is the direction we should look at. And so all of a sudden I see these baits with these lips, they were minnows. And I go, what's this? They go, oh, everybody's got them. It was like, they existed. And I go, well, I've never seen these. Oh, yeah, but, but lure, design, lure, lure guys, every village has got them. Everybody's got lure makers. And they so all is, use is them. the fishing a different culture out there, like in Finland? Yeah, a little different. You know, it's pike, it's perch, it's, it's a lot of trolling, not much casting. Okay. Most of everything is trolling-based. And so what it turned out to be were these, these particular scatter wraps existed by other small little lure manufacturers. So because they already were in the system, the fins didn't feel a need that they 
were worth doing. But there's none that exist and I here. Said, but there, <laughs> we don't have those. You know, so this was a case like, oh man, I, I, I can talk to like three guys and I can get a green light on this thing like tomorrow. So I bought up a whole bunch of those, brought them back. We ran them through the tank in, in, in Minnetonka, you know, the testing tank. Took them to pools and everybody was like, oh, this is crazy. You know, the walleye guys were like all over it, lake trout fishermen, you know, like fish, right? Yeah. Salmonoids, trout, the whole deal. And so we just started matching them up with bodies and we enhanced the width of some of the bodies. We changed up. Some of them we didn't have to do much modifications at all. But we already had the tooling for all the lures. Yeah, because the, the scatter app shad was a piece of cake. I mean, it was like, right. oh, this is this is great, you know. Yeah, and so all of a sudden the wheels were starting to really roll. And you take one bait, and all of a sudden you find that, man, we can just run these through and just keep sizing up and changing the lips. But the funny thing was, it was pretty. It was a very extensive project on the side of designing the lips to make sure they fit because that potato, what they call them. Is a potato chip lip. That would, that would make sense. Like a Pringle. Yeah, that's what they look yeah. like. Or a saddle. They call them a saddle lip. And you've got to work hard to find a shape that's going to work correctly with the bait. It's not like, oh, I got a handful of these. We'll just start sticking them on baits. Well, all of a sudden, poof, they roll out like crazy. So the tolerances you find are very meticulous and very tight to get a bait to even track that tracks and kicks out left to right randomly on its own. But that was a cool, that was a cool project because it was like, wow. And the funny thing about it, our lead design guys, our CAD guys all have them. They had them before we, we built them and came up Ooh. with the idea of releasing them here in the U S. So here's Yuka. He's going, yeah, you know, it goes over to his tackle box and shows me, all these scatter wraps. I guess that's kind of how it tuned up when we did the first power precision. Cause I had that like eight years before on a, under mm -hmm. a different company. I built a bunch of them and I just never thought anybody would want this super fast, you know, medium walleye rod. Yeah. Somebody got in their hands. They're like, build me one of these. Don't put a real seat on it, but build me one of these. And yeah. they're like, why, why haven't you told me about this before? I'm like, I don't know. I just, Hence, I never even thought about it. <laughs> hence, you know as well as I and others listening to this, never throw anything away. Put it in a Ziploc, stash it in a corner. There may be a time you're going to go back and at least reference it. You know? Hopefully my wife doesn't listen to this, but she, <laughs> she knows that I'm a hoarder beyond hoarders. Oh, okay. All right. So that's a scatter. So when, how long ago did you leave Rapala? Uh, last January. Okay, so pretty recently. Yeah. January 4th. It was a big deal. When you left, I was like, ah, I won't be able to buy any more lures. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was, it, was a, it was one of those things that, uh, you know, you hate, you hate seeing the end of the finish line, you know. And, uh, but it was like there were still things I wanted to do. There were still things to do. And, uh, yeah, but, you know, when the time's right, everybody uh, – from my folks right on down, a lot of guys I worked with over at Rapala and friends, you know, just go, yeah, you don't have to quit working. But when you retire from your main gig, there'll be a reason why, or it's just, you know, when the times come. Yeah. And, and, I'm, I'm and sure it was like, yeah, that's fine. I mean, how much more could you, I mean, you accomplished, you kind of changed Rapala. 
I mean, and not maybe not you yeah, collectively, but but yeah. I mean, like your your generation of work, yeah, workforce. Absolutely, because I mean, Rapala back first time, you know, you, you buy the shad wrap, you buy the countdown, you buy the original floater. Yep. That's all I remember as a kid. There wasn't many other. I mean, there was Risto wraps for a little bit, and that was yeah. I don't know if that was a failed project, but it was a weird project because they didn't last very long. No, that yeah. I only know one guy that covets them. Brad Hawthorne from does if, he? If anybody's got them, just send them up there. I mean, he he loves those things, and I have pulled them out now. Yeah, and they work really well in midsummer. But I don't think they worked really well when I had them as a kid. But that you know the the thing is, the more baits or the more rods or the more whatever you have, you find a better time of year than another. Yeah, it's 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 just inherently the way I think fishing is. It's um, there's well, a progression, and I think fish have changed too. Yeah, I think fish have, for me, I fish a lot of the Brainerd Lakes area and the water clarity and stuff has changed sure. drastically. So fish are deeper now. Yep. You know, they're... Well, pressure. Pressure yeah, is doing it. Well, and, and the water's clear. Yeah. When I was a kid, I remember, you know, my parents' lake, we had eight foot clarity all year long. That was mm -hmm. as best as you could get. Now we're at 22 feet. Yeah. That's, it's a very different bite. No, it's true. It's, it's so true. And, uh... You know, so how how do how are you supposed to know that stuff though? It's just trial and error. How do you figure that out? Because I'm not the guy who's going to go out there. I, I'm such an amateur, you know, that I just don't know. You got to have good friends. Good friends. Yeah, I was going to say. I think I learned everything because my dad. Do. My dad. I mean, he retired pretty early in his. I mean, I think he was like 57 or something like that. Yeah. But he's been fishing now. He fishes five six days a week. And his knowledge, it's like, I mean, he's like, oh, walleyes are in 17 to 19 feet of water. I'm like, that's such a specific window because you fished them the day before. Yeah. You know exactly how deep Well, they're. you're on them. Yeah. And yeah. He, he follows them, you know, from four feet down to 30 feet and then back up. And then. But that's a deal, you know, but the, but the other part that goes along with it is when you, when you're on the water that much and, and I can say it from. This summer, I had a lot of freedom to fish when I needed to fish, when I wanted to fish all these years. And, uh, but really this year, I think after being retired, I've got no loads on my mind, lawns mowed, bills are paid, and I just grab one of the two boats. I got a John boat for gravel roads and little rivers and big rivers and a blaster to go to Rainy and wherever else. And it's just, I've caught a lot of fish this summer. Yeah, but I probably learned more this summer about different things on fishing than ever, because it was like the contact deal. I caught more fish shallow this year in quality fish and big fish. I caught giant sunfish while I'm bass fishing and throwing a Ned rig over here because I'm trying to, you know, sneak out one more good largemouth yeah. out of this Boy. one weed bed, and all of a sudden the bulls show up with four heads and shoulders, and I'm going. Ooh, is that out on Tonka? Things. No, no, no. The Tonka smallmouth are, small are getting big. Oh yeah, they're they're eating the zebes. And the biggest smallmouth I caught this year on Minnetonka, it was like fishing down memory lane on rocks, extended fingers and stuff. So I love that. That's lake. interesting you say that about when because so, uh, 2006, I used to work for Bill's Gun Shop and we'd work yeah. seven days off, seven days on. Okay. So I'd have seven. I'd have a Every I'd only work 14 days a month. So I fished for 14 days a month. Yeah. I was a single guy. Soon as I remember Friday at 
two o'clock I'd get off, I'd have the car packed and I'd head up north and I'd fish for seven days and I'd come right back. I, yep. didn't, I had no other life than just the gun shop and fishing. And that's when I designed probably half the stuff in the whole shop. Oh yeah. Or just had notes. I mean, I used to write down water temps and I mean, and one of the big things, I don't know if you keep a journal of fish. I should have, but I, 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 one man that I will say, Greg Claggio keeps a journal mm. and I, I, I'll, I'll be the highest bidder on his journals. 50 years <laughs> of not, I mean, he writes down water temp yeah. clarity. I mean, he goes through everything every time he, go, and he's got such a, a book. I'm like, God, I wish I would have had that. Cause I'm not, I don't remember half the stuff that I have forgotten. I'm terrible with names, but I never forget a spot. <laughs> I don't know how that works, but it's like, if I write the name down, I'm good. Yeah. But if I don't, it's like, okay, it's like, okay, this weed bed looks great. Oh, it's got an extension or here's a corner. It's really hard not to fish memories though. Oh, yeah, I mean, it is. It really is. And it's hard not to fish memories with those baits. Mm -hmm. Oh, I remember, you know, number seven, yeah. chrome rip and wrap. I caught eight walleyes in five minutes. And you've fished that spot to death, even yeah. though you know there's no hope of getting a fish there again. It's all good. Yeah. But the bottom line is it's, it's, it's just amazing. Fishing is, uh, how do you not get a smile on your face? You well, know, nobody fishes because they have to. Exactly. You know? And you get to talk about it on the radio, too. Yeah. On Real Talk Outdoors, which is an awesome program. Thank you. You get to We're hear having it. fun. Yeah. And Larry, we were talking to him just beforehand. Yeah. He loves being on it. Well, Larry's a great guy. And, uh, and, and, and Tom Newstrom, retired sheriff up there in Grand Rapids, is a third spoke on the wheel. And, uh, but Larry, I've known Larry since we were kids, and his brother's the same age as I. And, oh, yeah, the old YMCA Indian Guide program and Camp It a Hoppy and oh, yeah. all sorts of stuff. My, I mean, my wife and his daughter were both part of that. There you go. There you go. So, yeah, and, and, and Larry's about as salt of the earth as you can get, and his dad was just a great guy. I admired him. He was cool. And we've had Larry on the show one time, and he talked, uh, he gave so much info, we had to make it a double show. We yeah. A two-parter. And it was actually, it was like, I'm trying to write down, like, okay, bass, you know, third moon. It's like, Larry, what, what did you say here? Yeah, it's like, it was almost go? like a seminar. And yeah. I'm like, I, I think I extrapolated more knowledge than my That's brain good. could handle. That's good. He needs to let loose a few spots. Now you got to get on his boat, John. I do. I would like to fish with Larry, but I'd like to fish with Larry in, in like a part of the season where I'm not stressed. When's oh, that? So when you retire, okay. Perfect. Tuesday at two thirty. Yeah. <laughs> it might be a Tuesday at two thirty. You should institute a seven on seven off schedule now. I, yeah, I have seven on seven on. <laughs> oh, nice. I forgot the off part. But you, I mean, you probably worked yourself to death early on and, and stressed about lure designs. But see, to me, it's not. And I will say this: I don't feel I'm working when I'm doing stuff with fishing, right? I mean, it sometimes is, but it's weird because I feel like I can work to the point where my brain is so fried that that's when some of my ideas come up, when my brain is wrecked. Like the quick tip was my brain was junk at that point. I came out with a, an insane rod. Yeah. And it was awesome. Just wasn't a great fishable rod. Well, I'll tell you along that line, and it's a fact, all of my best troubleshooting to solve a, a hiccup in a design on a lure, or you're thinking it's it needs one tweak, one modification, needs to do this, needs to do that, was Highway 169 from Champlin to Minnetonka, where the Rapala offices were. 
I hate that road. <laughs> it's, it's not a great road. I was going to say it. It, it sucks. You said it 169. Does, yeah. I was like, to Malax. that's See, when I do all my best thinking. That one goes the other way. Yeah. yeah. And that's, <laughs> yeah. You start the ideas going that way. Uh, that's where I but go. But problem solve, because I would, I would always, I've always kept, going back to doodling, I've always kept a little scratch pad and a pen in my little Suburban. And uh, yeah. So if I'm problem solving, to clear my head from the frustrations of the stupid drivers on 169, that's where it came from. Tommy and I got our, our fishing start on that mill pond right there in Champlain. Did you really? Mm-hmm. We did. My dad used hundreds to bring us of, all the Hundreds and hundreds of bullheads. Bullheads, crappies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It was almost all bullheads. Yeah. That's cool. That's yep. really cool. And my, my grandparents let me loose in a 16-foot blue Lund with a 50-horse smirk. 50? I, and I was probably... I must have been maybe nine or ten, and my grandparents let me loose and go catch fish. Wow. I remember running around that No thing. life jacket, I'm sure. Oh, I, there was mm-hmm. never. I mean, I'm thinking like there's, and I'm like, you know, I'm like, I never let my son do that. Back then, you know, I, I lived up there during the summers with my grandparents, and they just let me go. Yep. And I remember learning a lot about pike and bass and bluegills and because that's it was on Upper Cullen, and that's all that was there. There you go. That's a great body of water. Yeah. I'd buy one of those old blue lunds in a heartbeat again. The the it was the sixteen foot with just a painted blue sides. Yeah, three rows of seats. Yep. yep. Not not meant for a fifty horse. No, <laughs> no, it's way faster than it should have been. So I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Larry Hansen. I'm gonna What's see, that? I'm going to see what your answer is compared to his. What is your favorite fish to catch? The next one. That's exactly the same thing he said. Did he? <laughs> the ex- literally the exact same phrase. I have my favorites, you know, but I love saltwater fishing too. You know, in a couple of weeks I'll be heading to Isle Murata for about 10 days. And yeah, that's a hoot. That, it, it's so funny because you said literally, do you remember that? He yeah, said the exact I, same it's thing. It's interesting because what Larry Dalbury always said, there's what, three types of fishermen, you know, just catching fish is one thing and then catching fish catching a certain species and then catching fish the way you want to catch fish. Yeah. But I think you guys have hit the fourth level. You just want to catch the next one. You just one. want to catch one. And it's almost like a full circle. Yeah. Right? Because as a little kid, my kid, all he wants to do is catch fish. Yeah. He doesn't care if they're big, small, whatever. It's just the enjoyment of catching a fish. Catching. Yeah. Catching that next one. You know, and to kind of go along with it, it's like if you're really whacking fish, have one of those magic days in the boat your mind doesn't get as creative as it does when you have the toughest day on the water. That's when ideas come to mind because it's like, I know they're here somewhere from that corner to that point up on the flat, off on the deep edge. It's, we've got all the ingredients for this cake, but we just got to build and bake this cake correctly. And somewhere these fish are, are here. And nine times out of 10, I find myself just being too stubborn to change presentations or look for them, you know? I've gone home a lot of days with regrets of not making a change. Yeah. Like, it's going to have to work. I'm going to have to figure it out, and then it just doesn't happen, and you know that one switch could have been the difference. And that's talking to friends, you know? You've had that experience, and you share it, and you share it, and and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I don't want to go back and say I did that again, you know? (laughs) Well, I had one one summer that... It was dog days of summer. It was real hot. This was probably four or five years ago, and I could not. I mm-hmm. catch. I could find walleyes. I could see them. I couldn't catch them. Yeah. 
I remember fishing with my brother and my brother's like, he just said, speed it up. I'm like, what do you mean? We're trolling it two miles an yeah, hour. Just yeah. speed it up. Yeah. I hit a 28 inch wall at five miles an hour trolling. And all of a sudden we figured out what they wanted. We were trolling at four to five miles and people were like, you're trolling so fast. This is hang on reaction that it was strictly you just blow it by them and they go and crush it. Mm-hmm. I think it's because the, I mean, and the shad wraps were, you basically had to find the best one you had because they're not meant to be trolled that fast. Yeah. But it was like to the point where it's breaking. Like every time it's, yeah. it's slow. Yeah. And I think that's what they wanted. Yeah. No, it's true. And it, it was a weird technique and it never worked again, but it's always been back in my mind. Like, you know, I always thought a while I couldn't hit something that fast, but. I mean, they they're, move. They're they, pretty they, big fish. They, they can, swim yeah. just as fast as every other yeah. fish. So that's true. That's true. So tell us a little bit. Of, we'll we'll probably end it, but a little bit about the bass tournament. Thing. I mean, because you did you won a lot of tournaments. You were pretty, a few good ones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, you know, it's 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 all part of the game. You know, I mean, when uh, I always go back to when you're a kid, you play baseball, football, hockey, whatever, and you go to school and you do the same thing well all of a sudden you graduate from school and it's like ah, oh, this competitive thing is gone and it just became an evolution of loving to fish you know i got away from fishing for a period of time where i was starting a business and getting things going didn't have the time and uh start uh, a start a business in the fishing industry then you really don't have then time you to really fish. yeah <laughs> say goodbye to fishing <laughs> yeah. right but uh, uh excuse me but but what what ends up happening is is you want that there's something about that competitive buzz you know, it gets the adrenaline flowing and it's like, yeah, I'm not trying to beat any person, but I like this competitive thing with the fish. I like to go, wow, I learned something today that this little clump of weeds looks like, oh my gosh, it looks like this one. You flip in there and it's the same bite. It's like, why do you not, who wouldn't want to do that again? And then I think that's how we all fall victim of enjoying fishing. But the tournament thing was a lot of fun. It was challenging and uh, it was a hoot. But it was draining. You know, you've got to stay focused, really. It, it, people don't really, and I always tell people, because like, my wife goes, oh, you're fishing a tournament. It's, it's a piece of cake. You're just fishing. I said, you don't understand. When that buzzer goes off, I don't go to like, I'm going to go enjoy the water. I'm yeah. thinking I've got to be on the spot 100%. Every cast has to be perfect. All my gear has to be set up. Because if you have one rod fail, that could be your biggest fish all of yeah, a sudden. Right. Set the hook. and Yeah. The line break, or yeah. you're, you're not tight. So I many mean, variables, and sometimes days just go south too. Yeah. yeah. Were you tournament fishing for more fun, or was it your career? You know, it was for fun at the time. You know, for, for me, my I always look at it this way. When back when I had the sign shop, my partner snowmobiled, so it was a match made in heaven. He took off and snowmobiled in winter when things would slow down a little bit, and in the summer, I was gone fishing. I'll, you know, and, and work my system that way. And it worked out really well. But yeah, it, it was, it, it was, the, apparently it was the evolution to what I ended up doing for, you know, many years. It was, it was, it was a hoot to work for a big corporation that uh, was a well-oiled machine. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a well-oiled machine. And uh, yeah, so everything I learned through those those years process, uh, it's the process up to the point saying, yeah, I'll be there tomorrow. You know, that's what it's all about. This has been fascinating, Mark. You yeah. learn a lot. We all do, right? Thank yeah. you. This can, has no, been a lot of fun. Can I ask one dumb amateur question, please? Never any. 
Dumb amateur. Well, <laughs> no. Well, he is a dumb amateur. And he's yes. going to ask no, the question. Especially so. when it comes to open water. Okay. Yeah. So here, here's here's what I get every time I feel like I cast a Rapala is nine times out of ten I come back with just a huge bunch of weeds. Yep. What am I doing wrong? What's the problem? Nothing. You know, when I first started fishing with my dad when I was a kid, every time, oh, we're in the weeds. Oh, we're in the weeds. And then all of a sudden... You learn later in life that's where you want to be. It's how do you fish the weeds. So how do you so do you it wanna, then? You, you want to fish the outside of the weeds or over the top of the weeds. And you can look at a lot of, a lot of baits. There's, there's some baits that you can actually, crank baits, trouble hook baits or jerk baits, that will come through vegetation so long as it's not really heavy, thick vegetation. They're designed to do it as best you can. You know, nothing is weedless. You know, something has, something, you know, you, you got to tie a line to the bait. And right there, you've got a problem because the line catches the weeds before the lure ever does. So that's, that's, a, that's a problem that's yet to be solved. But, um, but really hanging up on the weeds, there's a triggering presentation where you can get in the weeds, hang up your bait, rip it, let it float up, boom, the strike occurs. So... When you're around weeds and they're the right type of weeds that the fish are going to live in, then you just have to back out. Just get a little deeper to find that edge. You can do it with your electronics or, you know, a lot of times when I'm cranking or jerking, I'm trying to catch a fish, but more so I'm looking to see what kind of weed I'm going to hook up. And I'm real careful about bringing that back to the boat to go, okay, it's Eurasian milfoil, coontail, or cabbage. Yeah, and sometimes like coontail, certain times of the year, it's like uh-huh. I hook on that. I'm like, oh, we're money. Uh, we're marking this spot. I'm coming back here at nine yeah. o'clock. Yeah, so it's not a bad thing. It really isn't. It's just there's there's no way to get around bringing a, a treble hook crankbait or jerkbait through that. It's and if a, you watch the the pros, if you watch them fish, especially the crankbait guys, they're pulling they're pulling lettuce off after every catch. They're getting they're catching the weeds too. Because mm-hmm. that's well, where the and, fish are. And the fish are always on the edge of everything. Yeah. They're kind of like us. We always live on the edge of certain things, like a forest or a See, lake I, or a I, city. I've always felt like as soon as I get a weed on, I have to just crank back in as quick as possible just to get it off there and start yeah. over again. That's not what you need to do. You just need to like slow down a little bit. And Well, no, if you have a weed on there, you got to bring it up. Yeah. But, but the my rule of thumb around weeds that, that I always try to go, okay, this is good, is try to find that edge. Because someplace there's a hole, a pocket, or a deep weed line edge, or a shallow inside edge. So for every every clump of weeds that are out there, it creates an edge. You just got to find if it's closer to the deep edge, the inside edge, close to shore, or maybe it's just a hole in a big weed bed, and that's that's gold. Yeah, so welcome to that stuff. That's all, all right. right. We'll we'll practice this summer. All right, we'll we'll report back. <laughs> Mark, thanks so much for being <laughs> thank here tonight. You. Thank this you. has been fantastic. Thanks for having me, boys. And make sure to listen on Bob, yeah. Bob FM, and it's in Sunday it's nights from Real Talk seven Outdoors. To eight. Real Talk yep. Outdoors, one hundred six point one. And what's the other one? There's another one too. Isn't there one hundred four point? Um, yes, up north. And that one I forgot. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Just listen to one hundred six point one. I know that you guys <laughs> podcast your episodes too, so yes. you can find them on the Bob, the Bob uh, Radio Network the, yeah, right the page, over there. Yeah. Yeah, they have some real good content and some pretty. You had the DNR officer on. Yeah, we had Commissioner Sarah Stroman on it was last week. The the four fish walleye 
limits. I'm I'm pushing for that. I, yeah, I want that so bad. There's some common sense stuff coming our way. Two, I hope so. Let's get two lines. Yeah. Two lines. Two, I want two lines and four fish. You know, people I, people are like, why? Don't go too far, but who wouldn't buy another license to fish two lines? I'd, I'd pay an extra twenty I, bucks for that. I would just be be, just because when I slip bobber fish with the kids. They're not really fishing sometimes. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, like, I feel better. No, I know. And it's like, I can throw it two and then deal with their mess. <laughs> but why Why even have an argument about two lines? It's but just, just charge another and people, fee. Yeah, and, they're like, and how many would they get? Oh, they get $100 million more million? Good for them. Yeah. It's not like they're flush. No. <laughs> Boys, it's been fun. Thank you Thanks, so much. Thanks, Mark. Thank we you appreciate guys. it. And uh, we look forward to, to having another episode come out here soon. It's been great to get back in the studio, guys. I know. It's been awesome. Good talks. All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you guys Thank you. in the future.